Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, an Ari Worthen, comes on, who's a friend of mine, to talk about a little bit of conference talk from last weekend, as well as the idea of coming back to the church, which is something that you know we're starting to see more and more of in terms of people leaving the church. So I thought it was kind of nice to maybe talk about this with Ari because Ari has her own personal experiences with it and she had a lot of good insights into coming back into the church based on her own experiences. And so I want to talk about that because uh, it's becoming more and more relevant, like I said, that there are a lot of people that have left the church, but there's also a lot of people that want to come back to the church. And it's nice to kind of put that into perspective. So we talk about that mainly. And I have a quick apology that there's no real BYU Boise State podcast happening before the game happens on Saturday, which I know probably at least half the audience doesn't care at all, so no apology necessary for them. With that said, for those that might have liked it, might have wanted to see it, uh, I'll do a little recap come Monday. That, I promise you, we'll talk a little bit more BYU football, Boise State, hopefully BYU gets a W. They might have their third-string quarterback start this Saturday. I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, so we might see Jacob Conover lead lead the Cougars to victory if that even can happen. I don't know. Anyway, sorry again, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you all have been having a great week, and I hope you're gearing up for a great weekend, uh, and I hope you're still bathing in the conference afterglow like I am. Anyway, love you all, and have a good one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, joining me on today's episode is the very lovely, very lovable, dare I say famous, Ariana Worthen. Uh, Today's podcast, because we've had previous conversations along the subject matter today, so it just uh, made sense to bring Ariane and Ariane, Ariana... (laughs) It made sense to bring Ari on today's episode because she has a lot of good thoughts and a lot of personal experience with the subject that we're going to talk about, which is basically coming back to the church. But before we get to that, I want Ari to introduce herself. It doesn't have to go too in-depth there or anything. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, talk about General Conference because I want to do a little bit of a recap and kind of talk about some themes and whatever else that we thought we felt, saw, or heard. So Ari, please gracious with your presence oh gosh the pressure i feel it um don't feel any pressure <laughs> i just don't i'm just kidding talk um, a little bit louder just a, a little, little bit louder yeah like this yeah okay yeah there interesting well i'm ari you can call me ariane or ariana actually not ariana i don't like that you don't like ariane well no that doesn't feel right it's ariana but i like ari too <laughs> okay uh I am from New Zealand. So, Oh, so this isn't a speech impediment? No, it's not, but you oh, know what? Pff, I had no idea. I was going to cuss you out, but I won't, because <laughs> I know my parents will probably listen to this. So. Uh, uh, good call. Mom and dad in mm-hmm, to save me. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
We'll do it later. Okay. Uh, I'm from New Zealand, like I said, and this isn't a speech impediment. This is an accent. Nice. Beautiful uh, accent, by the way. Thank you. I moved here to Utah roughly three and a half years ago. Uh, it's... Um, so about 2017, right? Yeah, 2000, uh, 2018. 2018. Early 2018? Yeah. Okay. And I just wanted to see if I'd like it over here. And I did. You were actually born here. Well, I was born here. Yeah. So, but oh, you, you want my whole life story? Or we doing like No, I want I just, I thought so that's like a lot cool. in there. Yeah, there's you a know, lot in there. You know, this will take weeks. We'll do that for future episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. Re- we'll, keep we'll it rehash the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, there's no need. Um, But you were born here, moved Moved to New Zealand with your parents when you were very young, just a toddler, mm-hmm. and have been there, had been there ever since. Like, you never, I mean, never well, really... I mean, pretty much, yeah. I was raised in New Zealand. Gotcha. And uh, went to BYU, Hawaii for a bit, and then uh, lived in a couple of other countries. Um, went back to New Zealand when I was like, 27, 28. Uh, thought I would be there for the rest of my life. All my family are over there. But a series of events occurred that led me here to Utah in 2018. And here I am now. I love it here and I don't want to leave. That's People right. seem to be surprised by that. I don't know why. I think Utah's great. I think I, I... I don't really know why either, but I understand that Utah has a... It has a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stigma. There's a stigma tied to Utah, especially being in the church. Yeah. Living in Utah, right? Because sure. they're like, oh, you're one of those, in the term being Utah Mormons. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, we were re-emphasized in the importance of not referring to ourselves as Mormons anymore. But we were. Utah Latter-day Saints, if you will. As, after all, this podcast is called Latter-day Takes. Oh, so there you go. So there's that. But um, there is a stigma there. And you can recognize that a lot more, I think, as an outsider. Um whether or not there's any veracity to the stigma itself, I don't really care. I just know that every place has a bubble of its own. Yeah. So it's no surprise that there's a bubble closely tied to the church in the state of Utah. And even then, I would say there's even pockets of different bubbles, like down in Provo, BYU, Definitely. versus Salt Lake, mm-hmm. versus smaller town areas in Utah. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the only th- wrong thing you could do is just be exclusive. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people suffer from. I don't think that's unique to the church per se. I don't think just because you're a member of the church that you you're an exclusionary type of person. It's more I think along the lines of when you're part of any organization, you can come across as a little bit more exclusive. Sure. Anyway, I think that's a little bit tangential. Sorry, I didn't really want to get into that. But let's talk conference here real quick. We don't need to get too deep into this, but there were some themes that we've talked about before concerning this last weekend's podcast. I know we were both semi disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> we were disappointed because we put expectations on. I know our expectations were way too President high. Nelson. We're like, what's coming? When is when is Christ going to reveal himself? <laughs> that's. I mean, let's be honest. That's the only reason why. <laughs> that was it. So anything <laughs> short of the second coming was going to be a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair enough. So I think yeah. I set myself up for that one. Yeah. I really wasn't actually disappointed. No, I know you weren't. In fact. I actually thought it was a beautiful conference. It was. Um, beautiful weather, too. It was. Isn't it awesome that conference always happens when Utah's like at its peak in weather of the year, it I seems know. like? Yeah, true. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's a spring, it's a spring fall thing. So it's not like that's, that's not a crazy thing to think about, but they're just, they're always beautiful days. It seems like more often than not. At yeah, least. no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. No, what I liked about this conference, um, was the message of love that was given throughout all the, all the sessions, really both sessions, sorry, right out the gate too, especially right with yeah, Elder about, Holland. Yeah. He just, I loved his talk. I mean, his was, As in, always. his was incredible, which sort of ironic in this, not ironic, I hate saying, I shouldn't say that, not ironic at all, but a lot of people were calling him unloving just weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And here he is saying, well, let's, we need to be more loving, which draws to the whole thing that I've talked about before, which is in order to be loving, you have to, that's such an individual definition. You can't mm-hmm. let others define it for you. And I think that's exactly what Elder Holland has done. Because he may have come across as unloving to some in his speech at BYU, but to others he wasn't. To me, he wasn't. Yeah, no, to me he wasn't. But, but, anyway, sorry. but that's what I liked about this conference is the message of love was very apparent. Uh, loving God, ourselves, and our neighbors. And that was reiterated in almost every talk. It really well, was. every other talk. Yeah, it was um, stood out It was a common a theme, and yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah. The love, I would I would agree that love was the big one. And it made me kind of think, you know, we'd, we had talked about this before, when f- in order for the second coming to take place, there obviously needs to be certain events that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the temple being built in Jerusalem, among many other things, but... Sure. Suffice it to say, in terms of those events having to transpire, it wouldn't have to take that long. Like, it could take a year or two. If it really, if it wanted to, it could just happen in the next year or two that all those events can take place. But one thing that stood out to us is that ultimately, in order for the second coming to take place, God's people need to be ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what does that mean to be ready? Be unified. Be unified, be loving, not not exclusive, right? So it's kind of fascinating to think. I mean, exclusive, I guess, is a subjective notion to some degree because we are exclusive by having to like adopt a certain mentality and way of living. Mm-hmm. But that's not limited. Like anybody can adopt that that wants to. But anyway, it does make you think kind of what is it that we're lacking as a people? Why is it that we're the ones prolonging the second coming, so to speak? Which is why I think they... The messages of love were pushed yeah. this yeah. conference. I think there. I mean, you can just take a look around. We see, take a look around. There's so much division, um, and I mean, you see it on social. You see it online, um, social media, and the ma- mainstream media. Uh, it's everywhere, and I think that it was a call. This conference, a call to us all to check ourselves. Um, and self-evaluate in terms of how um, how much love we are giving ourselves and others and the call to unify. What do you think, do you mind if I cut you off real quick and just ask you, what do you think it means to love yourself exactly? Because I know a lot of people talk about that, but I think there's varying definitions of that as well. So I'm curious what you think. I think that it's to understand your worth uh for me personally it's to 
love loving myself is to understand my purpose uh, who I am which I believe I am a daughter of God first uh, that knowledge allows me to uh, know that my worth is great uh, that then provides a foundation um, a solid foundation of loving myself in other ways I guess like um, just I guess understanding the role I play as a daughter and a sister an aunt a friend um, yeah it's more of it's more of like understanding my purpose and where I fit in my family and society and in the grand scheme of things like I said a daughter of God that propels me forward into having the confidence to set goals and achieve them which then you know increases um, the love I have for myself which I like how you put that because it's like understanding your origin or your divine origin right and when you put it in that perspective, what what you're talking about, it seems like those two things are um, inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. Really yes. can't have one without the other. Like knowing who you are automatically sets yourself up to understand a little bit better about your purpose. Correct. And opens the door to you loving yourself, yeah. so to speak, and just being like, I, like, I love myself because I know how much God loves me. Exactly. And you can't really love yourself without knowing that. No. So at I, least I can't. I can't either. Yeah. Totally get that. Anyway, well, thank you for sharing that. So let's get into the meat of what we wanted to talk about today, which is the idea that we've talked about recently of coming back to the church, especially because more and more it seems like we're seeing a lot of people fall astray or just kind of wayward and just kind of go off, march to the beat of their own drum for one reason or another, I'm not necessarily saying they're good or bad reasons. Everybody just has their reason. For sure. And I understand that it can be tough to try and fall in line when you feel like the line is out of whack in the first place. Mm-hmm. Or you feel like you can't keep up. Or for whatever reason, you're feeling inadequate to whatever degree. And so people feel like, well, it's just easier to live my life without having to conform. And you've experienced this on a personal level. Yeah, so, I have. Do you mind if we get into that for a little bit? Absolutely. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you feel comfortable. Um, I'll give you a bit of my background. So I was raised in the gospel. Uh, my parents uh, did a phenomenal job as parents in raising me in a loving household. Um, I was very fortunate to... Um, be raised in a um, home full of um, a lot of joy and um, in a home full of safety. The gospel was at the center of our home. I grew up, like I mentioned earlier, in New Zealand, where the gospel definitely has a presence, but not like Utah. Do you... Okay, I don't want to get too off on the off track here, but when you say not like Utah, what do you mean exactly? Well, it's just not as prevalent. It's not as mainstream, maybe. It's not as big as in the culture. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Utah is unique in that way. I would imagine pockets of Idaho, 
are a little bit similar. Okay, sure. I get what you're but saying. But it's definitely there. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you see it like advertised on the freeway, and you wouldn't see that in New Zealand. No. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but there is a decent community of members in New Zealand. Uh, it does seem like it. It seems mm-hmm. like there's a solid there community is. in New Zealand, and I don't know why. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with the... Um, there was a big push in the early missionary days. Um, I feel like the church, it was oh it was David O McKay that um, uh, that sounds familiar that played a big role in the church's presence out there. From what I understand, yeah. In terms of um, missionary work. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's what that's what I'm remembering right now. I do know though that the New Zealand people, um, specifically the Polynesians, are a very um, let's say humble people and are very receptive to receiving. There's no question about that. I mean, isn't it like don't they say the island of Tonga is like yeah, like a third? Yeah, something like that. Members. Member of the church. Yeah. yeah. So which we saw, by the way. Going back to General Conference, one of my favorite oh, talks was yeah. from the Tongan elder Sikahema. Maybe that was my BYU fan side coming out because he was a former amazing awesome. BYU player. Yeah. His talk was so good, though. Yeah. I honestly think like one of my faves. He's. I think he's. I think he's probably put himself as somewhat of a front runner to be an apostle because he seemed just <laughs> just right there, right on par. But it's anyway, so maybe I'm biased. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I was, I was raised in New Zealand, like I said, and the. Uh, for the most part, all of my friends were non-members. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I had my sisters. Um, I am the oldest of seven. I've got five sisters and one brother. So while the church was not uh, particularly large in membership there, I always had my sisters with me growing up. And... Um, that made it a little easier because I was, de- I did definitely feel like an outcast um, among my friends. But. Did your friends make you feel like an outcast or weird or different or anything? Uh, from time to time. I knew I was different. And to be frank, I didn't like that growing mm. up. I didn't, I, I actually longed to be able to partake in what they did, which is, you know, like the weekend parties and. And things like that. But now looking back, I'm actually kind of grateful that I had, um, I guess, the... Foundation. Of, well, just like the parental yeah. guidance that I did. Well, there's a lot of love demonstrated in that, right? Yeah, as a, as a teen, you don't... Yeah, you don't really recognize that. that you see it more as like no. a hindrance to your happiness. Or freedom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I can look at that now with gratitude. Yeah. Uh, so, raised in the church, um, had always been very active. Um, my family are for my family are now still. Uh, I have always had a pretty curious mind, and um, or an inquisitive mind. So I've throughout the years have had my questions um, and a few doubts um, with the church for the most part they haven't played a big enough role to um 
I guess, push me away or turn away from it com- completely. Um, in fact, the more study I have done with these questions and doubts, the more I have actually come to believe that the gospel is true. Uh, Almost sounds like the Uchtdorf approach, which is doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Yeah, sure. What I love, what I love about that, by the way, is that Elder Uchtdorf isn't necessarily saying to neglect your doubts he's saying to doubt them which i think takes action mm-hmm. doubting you have to like actively go out of your way to determine whether or not this is true yeah absolutely i mean it's still there still needs to be a confirmation to take place yeah he's not saying you know bury your doubts yeah, yeah and, exactly ignore no, them confront them exactly. absolutely explore and yeah, i explore. did and for many of for many people i know that have left the church and uh, and say that it, it has been a result of the study that they have done or the research they have done a lot of the time into the early days of the church. Um, the result has been that they do leave. It's been one of um, confusion, uh, the, like that this is the result of their research that they've done, or one of anger. One of betrayal, one of, um, I guess, many different reasons that have led them to ultimately leave. And for me, it did the opposite. It actually uh, caused me to have a greater appreciation for the gospel and actually strengthened my testimony. Do you have a particular reason as to why you think that's the case? Uh, yeah, actually, I think that the hundreds of hours worth of study that I've done into, you know, some of these questions I have had for years, um, actually caused me to have a change in perspective. When I say that, I mean, I had my doubts about Joseph Smith, as I think a lot of people have, or do have, you know, have had or do have. But for me, the result that came from his study was that Joseph Smith, this is just one example, was um, human. And for so long I had him on this pedestal, one that was, and I'm you know, embarrassed to say, was like similar to Jesus, which is not fair because Jesus was perfect and Joseph was not. With that said, let me come to your defense a little bit there when you say it's not fair. I do think church culture has... Um, not done the best job in, in some senses, not directly, but maybe indirectly deifying Joseph Smith. Now, with that said, I still hold what he's done as very sacred, and he basically is a hero of mine, one of them. Sure. Um, but yeah, we do not talk about his fallibilities probably enough. Now, granted, I don't know what's when it's appropriate and how much we have to talk about yeah. somebody's idiosyncrasies, if you will. Or even worse than that, maybe. Yeah, that's. I think that's a difficult one to navigate. Yeah, you know, I don't know, especially as an organization. What? Exactly. How are they going to determine that, right? And they can have. They can only put so many press releases out there, however awkwardly worded they may be, um, to kind of embrace it. But at the same time, it's not like you're going to tell primary kids. Well, you know, he had a lot of wives actually. You know, and some were pretty young. Some were actually just a little bit older than you guys. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, and, and I'll like, be honest. I don't think you'd go there necessarily for primary, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. Sure. Yeah. I was just going to say that 
I still there 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 are uh, some things in church history that uh, do not sit well with me to this day. Yeah. However, I have made peace with all of that, at least for now, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that Joseph was flawed. That makes sense to me. Well, it's kind of, the way I see it. Now, this may be, a, and that's not to take away from any of absolutely the, right of the the great things he he did. Right, but uh, absolutely not. Yeah, it, acknowledging the fact that he was a human, yeah, and made mistakes has allowed me to make peace with some of these questionable accounts. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. With that said. Before I go on to what I was about to say, um, I will say latter day, um, latter or what is it, uh, fair latter day saint dot org or oh, whatever. Yeah, the full Mormon, fair Mormon. Yeah, yeah, previously known as fair Mormon, is an amazing resource it is. when it comes to that. And I've come, and I even I remember a friend of mine, who who you happen to know, came to me one time and was like, "Have you heard that like." The origin of polygamy was due to some fact about this, that, or the other. And I was like, you know what? I'll be honest. I hadn't heard that. Um, Then that does sound problematic. Should it be true? The problem is I'm hearing this from a friend who heard it from another person who heard it from another person. So, you know, where did these things come from? I don't know. And so I thought, I'm going to start looking this up. And that's actually when I came across Fair Mormon at the time for the first time. And I loved the way they broke it down because they just, to me, it seemed like they broke it down very objectively where they didn't actually say, this just isn't true, it's all this, it's all founded upon a rumor that was this. They just said, this is what we know. These are the facts. This is the, these are the historical records that show any relation to what is about this subject, this particular subject. And they kind of leave it for you to determine. And I remember this particular subject was due to the fact that there was a disgruntled former member of the church who had been excommunicated, wrote in a letter something about some story he had heard about the prophet, and that was the only documented mm. um, version of that story, or any any of that story whatsoever. And from what it sounds like, a lot of antis have taken that and run with it. Where it was after he had gotten um, excommunicated, and it was just like tangentially related to something else, and he was, I don't know. So you can't, even Fair Latter-day Saint wouldn't say, so we can just throw it out. They say, that's just what we know. Yeah, And I look at that and I'm like, well, that's a very healthy way of putting that for one and another. I just appreciate the research they put into it. So I highly endorse that site as yeah. a resource for anybody that's struggling with some of the early history of the church, for example. But beyond that, I look at it as refreshing to some degree. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain experiences and stories within the church that you're like, oh, my gosh, like I can't believe that ever happened. And for one of those, for me, I'll just say it. I don't know if you've heard of the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Yeah. Yeah. That one, you're kind of like, wow. Yeah. The only thing that brings me comfort is historically, it looks as if Brigham Young had zero clue. And not only that, he had sent a messenger to tell everybody to stand down, but it got there too late. Yeah. That's at least what I read. I don't know how you defend that one as a church. I mean, the the, the thing is that you, like, they excommunicated the right people. They even executed. They even... They even um, I was going to say, did they even defend that? Has the church yeah, the, de- I, the church didn't really defend it. Yeah. yeah so. so, yeah. So that all helps, right? Um, I'm just like... Yeah. In other words, you're right. I don't really have to defend it. And who's, it, like, who's to say that it's 
some hill I even have to die on, right? Mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. But it's just such an egregious and atrocious example of what happens when you get the wrong people in the wrong room dealing with confronted with a very serious problem and they it's like they're they're a wild animal in a corner and they just don't know what to do yeah and they don't have the right guidance that one is about as ugly as it gets but the one thing that does give me comfort is that this was not like a top-down thing it was just some people in the middle making their own decisions but anyway so stories outside like that outside of that i think of joseph smith i think of you know, Brigham Young has this story of this guy that he had angered, member of the church, in early days of the church, obviously. And the guy's just like ticked off at the prophet. And Brigham Young says to him, so I suppose you're going to leave the church now? And you're like, even getting that question from a prophet, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, who do you think you are? The guy's response was so good, though, and it's something I've held on to. He said, yeah, if it was your church, sure. But it's not, right? You're just a prophet, which is kind of a cool way of looking at it, I think, where it's like, these are they're just facilitators, and they're imperfect, and it's refreshing to think that these men have their own issues to some degree, right? You obviously don't want terrible people leading the Church of God or the Church of Christ, but it does bring some comfort where it's like, oh, guess what? I'm not a good person either a lot of the time, (laughs) so at least I can take comfort in the fact that a lot of these guys have had their own histories as well. And one of those, too, that was pointed out to me when I was at BYU. This doesn't even make him a bad person, even close, but it's kind of funny to think of an apostle in this context, which was uh, Elder Scott, um, was in love with his girlfriend, his who he married eventually, his wife, um, at a young age. It was like, I think he was 19, 20, 21, whatever. And his his girlfriend at the time was like, yeah, you, like I get that you want to marry me, but I'm not marrying uh, somebody that doesn't go on a mission. And he's like, well, I don't, like, I don't want to go on a mission. And she's like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> go on a mission or we're not getting married. So he's like, fine. So he goes on a mission. And I just look at that story and I'm like, that's amazing. I mean, this guy became an apostle. Yeah. So that's like so cool to look at it that way where it's like, yeah, you don't need to go on a mission to be a good person, right? <laughs> like, and not even close. And not only that is that story, but it's like apostles have their own reasons for doing their own thing. And they're still apostles. They need to be humanized more. Yeah. Exactly. I'm telling you because uh, as someone who grew up in the church, it they are, while they are um, in these leadership positions, um, I think often we can forget that they are human. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'll speak for myself. No, I'm worthy <laughs> there. Though, like we, we, it's it's very easy to put them on a pedestal an undeserving one too exactly it's very easy to do that but anyway i feel like i've gotten us off track a little bit here sorry so you you've had your own issues um in terms of like how you viewed the history of the church but it's kind of like you've become stronger in some senses yeah i have and and that's been you know i've put in a lot of work into um figuring out what it is that i believe and I'm happy with where I'm at. Uh, I have a, like to think I have, <laughs> a solid testimony of the gospel. And um, it has, you know, I've spent my entire life building it and getting it to this point. Um, so coming back to kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, uh, I for the majority of my life, have been an active member. I I did have a couple of years where I wasn't active. 
And uh, I think it was mostly because I became despondent with the way my life was going. And there were a couple of life events that caused me to feel this way, including divorce, which um, growing up in in the church, I had envisioned my life to look a certain way, as I'm sure we are all guilty of in some way. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we have, we all have our own utopias, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In one context or another. Yeah. And certainly in the church, right? That's a big reason of why we're even a part of the church in the first place. Sure. Because we have this bigger vision for ourselves. Exactly. And mine just didn't go to plan. Well. <laughs> At all. I'm actually glad you brought that up because <laughs> divorce tends to play a large role in that. I feel like there are a lot of people that can relate to you just from that alone. There are many people who can. And Getting I've come di- across many yeah. of these people. Getting divorced in the church, you feel like it just all of a sudden you have a jaded view. Because... You feel like, for one, maybe you're not up to snuff Mm -hmm. and that you are less than because you weren't able to have a marriage that was sustained in the church. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, I felt like I had failed. Right. Felt like a failure. And so the drawback to church may not be as strong all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Like I said before, I just, I kind of gave up a little, you know, I was like, well, what the hell? I... I've tried mm-hmm. and uh, done what I thought was right, at least, and it um, didn't yield the results that I thought it would. Now, fast forward to now, I realize that the same goes for all of us in terms of life hasn't worked out the way that we thought it would. Right. Everybody can find reasons, you know, and to whatever magnitude we may feel. I, I'm not going to sit here and say one is worse than the other, but everybody has a reason at some point or another to say, well, this isn't what I had planned, so peace. Exactly. Sure. And and, and what I was uh, wanted to touch on there was that life just doesn't go according to plan. Ever. Ever. Right. Well, and this is something we talked about, something that my dad pointed out, right? Um to my mom well to all of us but plan right in the book of mormon is never used as a verb meaning not an action so in other words to plan something you don't see it in the book of mormon you see it as a noun all the time plan of salvation plan of happiness plan of redemption sure i don't think plan of salvation is actually mentioned in the book of mormon but anyway that's neither here nor there it's a title in the book of mormon but what it is, and that's prepare, right? And so if we do plan something and, and have that in our vision, a lot of times we may be let down for that reason. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was um, one of, if not the main reason, why I strayed for a while there. And uh, I just started to question, I think I lost trust in God and uh, whether or not he would keep his promises to me. Because he hadn't to that because, point. Exactly. So what it fe- well, at well least, you felt like he hadn't. Yes, Sorry. So, I, I yeah. felt like he hadn't. Right. So I, what really happened was that I lost trust in him. Or rather, I chose not to trust him. 
because things didn't go according to how I felt they should have gone. And that lack of trust caused me to uh, doubt and to um, like shake my beliefs up a bit. And so I was kind of like, you know what? I don't need to trust in you. I'm trusting myself and other people because it at that time I'm like it's more tangible like I can see like where are you I can't even see you it doesn't God. require a lot of faith no yeah right I'm um, sure and so I um yeah I took a little break and mm-hmm. um I during that time away from church I struggled to find peace I was still really happy and um, for the most part I felt like I still lived a great life but I couldn't find the inner peace that I that I found when I was um, living the gospel there was some cognitive dissonance at play probably Uh, the way I describe it personally is that the only, like the most pure form of happiness I've ever experienced always had to do with the spirit and the yeah. gospel. Yeah. And I've been happy outside of that. Yeah, In exactly. different contexts. so happy. Yeah, feel, felt that euphoria. Certainly that pleasure, which I would never, ever, um, I don't know what the word is necessarily, but I would never equate that. That's what I want, equate that with happiness. But it feels similar, sure. but it's different. Yeah. And I did everything in my power to to find the peace outside of the church that I longed for. Yeah. For a couple of years, and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I will say that what that did for me that time away was that I was able to develop a lot of empathy for people who leave because you had been one of those people. Exactly. And prior to that, I never understood why people yeah. would leave the church. And my prior to this, I, I would always think, well, why would you ever leave? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Makes no sense. Like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What, you can't, you're not strong enough to keep the commandments or you're not, you're, you're kind of like, the lifestyle doesn't suit you, so you're just going to go do what you want. Yeah. I had no idea. And then I was able to experience it firsthand for myself. And I realized, oh, there's so much gray. It's not black and white like I thought it was. And um, I was, I lived in that gray for a while. And I was able to um, come to, to, yeah, like I said, develop a lot of empathy for people who leave and never want to come back. And people who leave and kind of do want to come back. Mm-hmm. And I, I found those years to be very valuable. Mm-hmm. In fact, if not some of the most valuable years of my life up until now. Uh, my ability to um, love people regardless of where they are with their testimony. Um, or even if they don't have one anymore. Has... Um, just changed my life and has allowed me to be a better person and quite frankly be a better missionary yeah well what i like about that is that it, you were able to internalize this in a very healthy way it seems like at least if i if i maybe may. not there for a time but at the end yeah <laughs> sure but 
I mean, ultimately how you looked at this as an experience of growth. Yeah. And understanding and understanding yourself and the reason why you made the decisions you made. And instead of placing blame on anybody else, um, you kind of owned up to who you were. Yeah. I take full responsibility. Yeah. No, Which I, is liberating, by the way. It is liberating, right? Because then all of a sudden you're like, maybe I have more control over my life than I originally thought. Exactly. It was actually freeing. Yeah. I mean, anxiety comes from places where you don't think you have control, right? Yeah. And that seems to be something that a lot of people, especially in our generation, struggle with. Yeah, good point. Um, but what made you want to come back? It was that longing, longing for peace. I I realized that <laughs> I... While whilst I was still achieving good things in my life, they weren't really things that I um, were of like the most importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, which for me is family, marriage, and family, and um, and most importantly, <laughs> fulfilling my purpose. Right, coming back mm-hmm. to what we we're talking about at the beginning, just loving myself mm-hmm. I felt like I was out of alignment with who I was who I am um, I felt like I wasn't being true to who I really am and that's ultimately what caused me to come want to come back um, and I knew that that coming back would lead me to um, the peace that I was trying to find for those years and couldn't yeah i like what you said a lot too earlier with the empathy aspect of all this um for one reason or another that's hard for some people to come by naturally kind of that charity some people have been given the gift of charity and i i know those people like those some people just have it like they they do um when it doesn't come naturally it seems like it has to be learned the hard way yeah and i can certainly relate to the way you learned it not to say that I was well no, you know what? I was. I'll be I'll be honest. I was dismissive of people that left the church. Mm-hmm. You know? So I was like uh, especially on my mission and I'd see like a returned missionary not go to church and I'm like, What the hell is the matter with you, man? Like what did like how <laughs> like you taught this stuff. Like how could you leave? It did not compute. Um I started to understand it a little bit more. Like, I was like, I don't plan on ever leaving the church. But when I was like 23, 24, after my mission, I thought, it makes sense. I at least get it. Like, I get why they become they become disillusioned a little bit because they just kind of feel like inadequate or like their life's not progressing like the way they planned, like you, like you talked about. It started to make more sense. But with that said, I still didn't have like a lot of patience for it. I didn't have a lot of empathy. This empathy for me specifically didn't come until I had lived in Texas which I had shared with you before, and I've shared even on this podcast before, I think, where I, until I experienced true repentance, remorse, contrition, and an opening up to my own personal relationship with Christ and the atonement, the empathy was not there. And when I finally confronted my sins is when I finally started to understand empathy. I don't know if that's the only way how to achieve empathy without it being a gift. 
but it was my way. Mm. And it was one that I'm very grateful for. That doesn't mean I would say, oh, well, then I'm glad I sinned and I'm glad and I'll, I would do it again. Because I don't think it's the only way. But it was a way and it was a great way. Or sorry, not a great way, but it was a great resolution. Yeah. It was a great fallout, so to speak, of what I had done and the acts, the, the, the heinous things that I was doing. Now, I never left the church on a physical level, but I left it in my heart, you know. I left it in my head. I was not active in that sense. I had a calling. That was really the only thing keeping me tethered to the church because I was like, I have to attend to this calling. I don't want to just ditch these people and abandon them. Um, and then finally, it wasn't until I looked myself in the mirror and I had a real, this this very real, very real realization, if I may say it that way, that sounds a little weird. Um, it was very impactful because it was like I had to confront who I really was. And the way I put it in, the perspective I put it in was, if I had somebody I cared about, another, like a female, for example, that I cared about, either a sister or a close friend or whatever, who was there that wanted to get married and I had a guy that I would maybe want to set him up with, for whatever reason I thought about it in this perspective, which was if I knew everything about that guy and it was the, it was the exact same thing that I had done and lived, like the life that I had lived up to that point, there's no way in hell I was going to set that guy up with this female that I cared about. And when I had that realization, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's pretty pointed. It's pretty direct. And I was like, I got to do something about this. And I got to do something about this now. And so I actually think, like, within... It could have been the same day. I'm not sure. It might have been a Sunday. Or within a few days. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I went and saw my bishop. And that's when everything started to uh, go into into place, the appropriate place that it needed to be. And I couldn't be more grateful for that experience. Um, Something that I'll touch on later on a different episode is that process in and of itself and what I had learned. But the biggest takeaway was empathy and understanding that everybody's hurting. And the the old saying of hurt people hurt people Mm -hmm. was very real. Where I was able to look at these people who are committing these horrendous acts, people that are leaving the church, or whatever else it may be, generally comes from a place of hurt and pain. And I wanted to focus more on understanding them, which is why it was so nice to see the message of love in conferences last weekend, because it was a reminder, once again, that even those that are antagonistic towards the church, generally speaking, have some hang-ups, have some things that they've suffered with, and that's what's informed the way they are towards the church. And if you were able to actually look behind the curtain and see what had affected them in such negative ways, you can't definitively say you wouldn't have reacted similarly to them. Yeah, Yeah, there are many examples of that. I will say there are also many examples, and I have friends that fall into this category, who, you know, they weren't necessarily hurt. They didn't have their feelings hurt by any particular event um, within their time... um, in church activity they just simply felt that the gospel was not for them and like that's just a realization that I have come to is that it isn't like some people just don't feel it's for them and that's okay like there are plenty of people out there who weren't offended by anything 
but choose not to go because they simply just don't, do not want to. Like, they want to live another lifestyle. Something I threw out there, actually, I taught an Elders Quorum lesson recently, and I threw this out there to the brethren in the class, which was how many general authorities have friends that are either less active or former members of the church or non-members of the church? All of them. All of them, right? Most likely. How do they act towards those people? How do you think they act towards those people? I pose that question. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everyone already knows. Yeah. They're loving. Of course. They don't abandon these people. They Why also would don't... you be anything else other than loving? Exactly. Why? Yeah, they also don't take it personally when these people don't want anything to do with the church for oh. one reason or another. Because they understand agency. Exactly. And they, and we've kind of talked about this before, is like they understand um, that that's what we fought for in the life before this. Yeah. And we can't agency. And the real realization there is that we cannot let other people's actions of whether or not they want to accept this church or reject it be a direct reflection of us. No. Like we can't let it seem that just because they're rejecting the church, they're rejecting us. It's hard to do that. Like I understand because we made it such a big part of who we are as people, but it's not. It's not a it's not a wholesale rejection of us. And in terms of like people who leave and then like me coming back, going back to your question, um, it was about feeling comfortable in an environment to that would enable me to feel the spirit again. And you know we can do that, and we should do that in our in our you know own personal settings at home or through prayer or reading meditation uh but i wasn't comfortable completely going back to church and so i started the come follow me group that we that -hmm. we've attended a couple of times and i was inactive at the time when i started it but i figured that if it was something that i needed in my life that there would be others uh, who would need it too Mm -hmm. so we started doing them every monday night and um, it created a space for people to come and hear the, you know, a, the go- a gospel message and feel the spirit. And as the months went on, I, um, I guess my testimony was maybe like reignited. Yeah, that I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just had a desire to come back, and. I'm a lot happier for it, and um, I hope to be able to encourage others to do the same if they wish. And that is no shame in coming back after you've left. None whatsoever. And I don't even think I left. Yeah, I don't like no, saying I, I left, because I, I didn't. I just... <laughs> right, I get that. It's all relative, for one. But I think one thing I wanted to add to that was... Um, Part of, another big lesson I learned from my own experience of spiritually coming back, because I did leave it. I left the church spiritually. I really did. My own spiritual comeback, one of the bigger lessons I learned was the idea that, and I know you and I have talked about this before, is that anybody that was going to judge me, so to speak, for my actions and what I had been through and part of my repentance process, there was a strong realization there that it didn't like if they were to 
kind of like cast me off because of that and say oh gosh you must be like in a bad place like ugh, get away from me you know something like that um it was to me it was obvious like well good we don't need to be friends to me it was it created this natural filter where it's like if i was going to confide in anyone now fortunately that wasn't ever the case anybody i confided in was extremely nice very very uh very comforting and welcoming and just grateful that i was in a good place but it did dawn on me that if somebody wouldn't have been that way and been like oh gosh and like would have told like maybe started these things where they're just telling other people like oh do you did you hear about harper what right. he had gone through or whatever else yeah like he had all these issues and he did this that and the other then that to me is very obvious that they don't need to be in my life no. and yeah, good riddance exactly good riddance but also kind of like a goodbye with compassion <laughs> sure yeah maybe not we like that one maybe it's not good riddance but uh <laughs> But uh, have a nice life. Yeah. You know what I will say though. I am so, I'm so blessed uh, to have friends who are a part of the church and who are not. They who all held space for me as I figured out what it is that I wanted. I didn't really get. I didn't really experience. Um, you know what I mean? Like too judgmental. I'm yeah. being honest. Yeah, yeah. I very, very, very fortunate to have solid friends who, regardless of their beliefs and regardless of what I was trying to figure out, held that space of love for me. The very least I can do is hold that for them. Absolutely. As they navigate their way through life. We're aren't we all just facilitators at the end of the day? Like who are we like the, the, the idea to me that when it came to me that like not only do I not not only should I not judge these people I don't have to no it's not your role <laughs> like, like and be a, grateful I know how much it's of a relief is that it's like <laughs> when you really put that into perspective like you, you really want that responsibility exactly, you might be the ultimate decider of these people's fate it's like uh, no thanks Christ that's on you like have fun with that like I do not envy the position you're in in that regard um Kind of funny putting it in that perspective, right? Anyway, as we kind of wrap it up here, uh, what would you say to somebody that was struggling with trying to come back but hesitant or for whatever other reason they 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 don't necessarily want to? And, and this is what you've said recently as well. Uh, abandon their cottage in Babylon. <laughs> oh, the ones who have their primary residence in Zion. Yeah, exactly. Their cottage in Babylon. And then for, in some cases, some of these people have their primary residence in Babylon and their cottage in Zion, you know? Sometimes it's interchangeable that way. Yeah, sure. Look, I think that ultimately um, the desire to want to come back first and foremost should come from a place of love, not fear. Like, I feel like love should be driving the decision. And I say that because when you come from a place of love it's easier to be kind to yourself through the process and should be extending utmost kindness and love as you figure out what it is that you are trying to figure out. No shame, you know, which is very common. Um, I've have found anyway in the culture when, um, in situations like this, when people, you know, figuring out what they really believe I had a lot of shame I put a lot of shame on myself 
so yeah, just to be kind and loving to yourself, deploy a lot of it. Um, and to just extend the tiniest bit of faith um, in God that he will come through for you. Like I said before, I didn't, I kind of stopped trusting him there for a bit and I had my reasons and they were valid to me. And do they, do they still feel valid retroactively? They do actually. They do feel valid because they were, they were real to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt in the moment. That's all I, that's all I knew in that moment. They were valid. And so how did you come? combat that sentiment like how do exactly you... what i'm saying sorry is, yeah, I'm keep... is oh no no what i'm saying is like i finally extended some love to myself and i wasn't so hard on myself like oh you should know better or you should do better or like, no it was like okay it was understanding that god is loving god loves me going back to what we we're saying at the beginning i am a daughter of god um, it took me doing some understanding to who God was and his nature, um, acknowledging that he loves me, that um, he will be patient with me. Therefore, I need to extend that to myself and have a little bit of faith in him and to test him, like let him prove himself to me. Like, how, how did you do that, if you don't mind me asking? Um, just simply by keeping some of the commandments that I've not been keeping. <laughs> you know, like, hey, I'm going to do A, B, C, D um, and see what happens. So what I like about that is that you're putting the onus on you to some degree, right? Yeah. Initially. Like you, and this is something we saw in, I can't remember which general authority said it, but it was the idea that faith precedes the miracle. Yeah. You see that all throughout E through 12. It was because of their faith when the miracle took place. I don't, only, it only required a little. And only required a little. And that's what I would say to someone you're asking, like you what give, would I say? Give God an inch, he'll take a mile with exactly. your faith, right? Exactly. Just let, like, let him prove himself to you. All he asks is our heart, right? That's all he asks of us. And it can be something small. Mm-hmm. Just start with something small, whether it's, hey, I'm going to go back... I'm going to go to Sacrament this week or I'm going to quit drinking or I, for this amount of time or whatever. Like it's so personal to you um, and to each of us. Uh, but it would just be to. I think something. you can even, no, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here. Not with you, but um, well, obviously I hope I'm not speaking out of turn with you, but I, I mean, in the sense of you can almost put conditions on it that are specific yeah. Like, I really think not? you could say, like, hey, God, if if I stop drinking for this week, if I don't go out this weekend and put myself in precarious situations, if you will, will you make me feel less anxious about things? Or will you make me feel hope in a way that I haven't felt it before? Or will you help me focus more at work or whatever else it may be that's important? Because one thing I learned, especially out in Texas, as you know, you get in high stress situations out in a Ph.D. program. What is it that, you, like, whatever is important to you is important to God. Should it be just, yeah, real, true, and authentic? Um, he, if you put him first, he'll put your desires first. Yeah, he will. 
I I've learned that. that personally. And so have I. And I, yeah, I believe that to be true. And I think that um, it is possible if the desire is there to um, come back to the fall, as we say, uh, and it be a loving process, like a beautiful process, one that is full of um, light and joy and it has been that way for me now there's definitely been some pushback along the way as is expected uh, but what's funny is that like coming back wasn't actually that difficult it was probably more your mentality or that was the diff more difficult part right I had to get over myself yeah I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Um, and I think going along what we're saying is that idea, you start small, right? You start small start and you small. think, if I can stop drinking for this week or whatever it may be, if I can, whatever it is. if I go to sacrament for the first time in months. Even if I stop praying. Yeah, start praying, start, start reading the, the scriptures, read the scriptures for a minute. Mm. And you think, can you give me a little bit more peace or a little bit more clarity start with for that. the next little bit? That's exponential. That's the thing that like grows as you get more faithful, your desires get, they, they, they come to fruition more and more. They really do. Yeah. And especially they, only if they're righteous desires, excuse me, not especially, sure. no, only if they're righteous desires, they will, but they have to be righteous desires. Yeah. Which I feel like most people's desires yeah, are righteous. <laughs> right. And I think most part we're good people. Exactly. I agree. And I think people recognize it very easily when they're not very righteous desires. Like, okay, I'm going to go to church and I uh, better have a million dollars in my bank account by the end of the week, right? Was that not righteous? It's not unrighteous, so I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's the I mean, sweet, right there in the meaty part of the curve, right? Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up, but I think this is a great discussion, and I appreciate you coming on, of course, and sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that my COVID voice doesn't sound too manly, or maybe it does. Yeah, I'm I am a, a female, by the way, if anyone is <laughs> I'm in the room with a COVID patient, so I'm definitely compromised now. No, um, I appreciate you coming on, Ari. We'll have to have you back and oh, talk about other topics or I whatever love else. To. I love talking about things with you, per usual. Thank you. Per usual.